welcome along. It's the gardening programme. We're in the autumn series here on Midwest Radio, although Porek, and I know I, we were talking about that forecast and we were saying the word just, that it's only yeah. going to be X, <laughs> Y and Z uh, because we've become so used to, you know, almost Mediterranean temperatures. Just between 15 and 18 yeah, degrees. Yeah, I'll tell you, Where on the 20th of September, Where isn't it fantastic? It? It's absolutely brilliant. It's been a great run of weather. It's been absolutely fantastic. And it's promised into next week again, I think right up to a little bit of rain possibly, but... Could probably do it, a tiny bit of it. We could actually. Just to keep things, the things that Definitely. are looking bright, Definitely. just keeping them that yeah, bit brighter. Yeah, even, even to talking, talking to customers during the week, um, quite a number of people are, you know, bits of yellow spots in the lawns and bits of yellow spots on plants. And plants are actually drying out, particularly newly planted plants or newly planted lawns. We have just haven't had the that rainfall does. to keep them... Yeah, well, we'll 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 we'll, we'll suffer. We'll, yeah, we'll suffer having to go out and put a bit of water <laughs> on win. them before Surely. the charges kick in Surely. in another couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but we want to talk first of all. You've got you're, you're a very very busy day on today because there's a talk going on in the museum. I'm in the this museum. Afternoon. Yeah, I'm in the museum of, of country life in Turlock and Castlebar. So between three and four o'clock, uh, I'm going to do a, a talk, a slide presentation on putting your garden to bed. So and and probably it's it, you know I'm going to include a lot of topics, including things like taking cuttings which seems to be very popular in the programme in the last number of weeks showing people really how to propagate their own plants this time of year mm-hmm. and I often think we often think that springtime is the start of the gardening year but traditionally autumn and if you think of what plants are doing themselves they're all producing seed at the moment and casting that seed and self-propagating as it were uh, preparing for the springtime so I'm going to be talking a little bit about that telling uh, people that are coming along how to take cuttings at this time of year, how to sow plants from seeds. We're also going to do a little bit on lawn care, what to do with the lawn this time of year, um, how to prune plants. So how to prune plants back and what plants should you prune at this time of year, those that should be left until springtime or summer of next year. Bulbs, I'm going to do a little bit on planting bulbs because Excellent. this is the time of year. Mm-hmm. So it's a general talk around what to do in the garden in autumn. I suppose a lot of things that I'm doing myself in the garden and a lot taken from the questions that we've got over the last three or four weeks um, and putting that together into a presentation. So that's between three and four o'clock in the Museum of Country Life in Turlock. It's a free gig. Uh, but the museum have asked that you ring and book a, a spot. Right. So I'll be there between three and four. It's only an hour. And have we still spots available? We do. I hope so. Okay, well, I suppose the advice is if you <laughs> ring, ring the museum, museum they'll, yeah. they'll be able to It'll be in the theatre, so, you know, yeah. I, I think yeah. you can take quite so, a number of people. But um, So, yeah, come along if you're around this afternoon. And if you have any questions or anything you'd like to bring along, um, you know, I'll be there after the talk and, and certainly I can answer any, any questions or if people have particular plants they want identified or problems in the garden, bring a snip of those along as well and we can talk about them. So that's between three and four o'clock in the Museum of Country Life in Turlock. Uh, it's a free gig, but they do ask that people ring the, uh, if they go onto the website, you'll get the number there from the museum. And uh, so that's all going to be autumn gardening. Okay, you've, you've got to be tired this evening, I'll tell you, a busy day. I enjoy um, it. We're uh, going to uh, glean as much information out of you between now and ten uh, here on the programme as well. Now, before we end, we, I know we've loads of questions because people have been texting in very early this morning. Um, you were just mentioning to me, we get so many questions about moss. Moss is the question, I think. Uh, in <laughs> Ireland, uh, you know, it's the thing that really bothers us. Yeah, The vein of our life, an, an doesn't awful, it? An awful lot. Um, and the one with grass, you know, I think we have it well covered at this stage, but also on the hard surfaces. And you were telling me there's something new. There's a new product, yeah, yeah that I've, I've come across it in the last couple of weeks, a new co- product called PAC, P-A-C, quite simple to remember. Uh, but it's a treatment that's, that's used on patios and driveways. It can be used on 
on graves, on gravel, on tarmacadam, any hard surface area where moss or algae is a problem. Mm. Um, it's a it's a new product uh, called Pack. But what it, what I find very um, unique about it is, is that it kills the moss very rapidly. Within two days, the moss has died back and uh, it can be applied, obviously, in this time of weather. It's a liquid, you mix it in water and it covers quite a large area. Right. So it's a really good solution if people have got moss problems. So that's, I'll actually bring you back in next well, week. Well, I, I just, and this is purely coincidental and if people think this is all made up in advance, I can guarantee it isn't. But I was in my mum's yesterday evening and I was looking out and she's got a lot what of tarmac. What would we do without I your mum? I don't mom. know. She's a very lucky woman, I'll tell you. Um, and I was looking out at the tarmac yesterday and I, there seemed to be an awful lot of moss. I said, God almighty, that is just growing like crazy at the minute as if we're going to have to tackle something. So, Project, Mister. Yeah, well, I'll give you, I'll give you a pack next Great. week. Try it out and see how it's, how it works. And and between now, between next weekend and the following weekend, you'll you'll actually have got the results. You'll see how rapidly it works. So that's a, just a new product that's come in the market called Pack. Keep an eye out for it, particularly if you've got moss or algae on hard surface areas. Great stuff. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we have lots of questions, and we're really going to focus on listeners' questions this morning and try and get through as many of them as possible. So if you do have something uh, that you would like addressed on the program. Oh, Eight seven nine hundred forty one forty one. With thanks to C and C Cellular, and call us either oh eight one eight three thousand fifty five. Now we have a great range of questions in and we got a lovely one on an email as well which is coming from Margaret and Robert Nichols in Wembley in uh, England. So uh, obviously listenership really spreading out at Porrick. Um, they've got a question about a fig tree. Uh, they'd like a little bit of advice on how and when to prune or cut back a fig tree. Very vigorous growth this year. Lots of small fruit on branches, but it doesn't seem like they're coming to anything now. Well, they, they don't because figs, figs actually produce their fruitlets during the summer and they remain on the plants as small uh, embryos or small developing fruits. Mm-hmm. They stay on the plant over the winter and then they actually ripen the following year. So oh. figs are different to most fruiting plants in that they actually form their fruitlets in one summer and produce, they ripen then the following year. So exactly, you'd expect nothing else from the tree. So it's perfectly healthy. That's perfectly normal. And I can understand they're looking probably at the small fruits and mm. thinking, well, they'll never come to anything. Yeah. Um, so leave them alone. They'll, they'll survive through the winter period and they'll actually start to ripen next summer. So figs take two years to ripen. In terms of pruning them back, really it's only a tidying up. That You don't do any severe pruning with fig trees. It's really about shaping them. And the best place to grow them is on a wall or uh, some kind of a nice south-facing wall. There's a great example of them in um, Kylemore Abbey. Oh, right. Kylemore Abbey, a couple of years back, I was up there. It's a beautiful garden up there. It's mm. well worth taking a spin up someday. Um, but in the uh, Victorian garden, in the vegetable garden, they have a lovely fig tree trained against a wall. And it's a good example if people want to see it. So figs are easy to grow. You do, it, they do take that. They need so it that, takes, it's, it's it takes, kind of two years. It's a cycle, two year cycle it? before you right. get fruit. But what you often find is some, some of the fruit will ripen this, this year. year. And that you'll also have the small embryos for next okay, year. Okay, so, so, you, so, so it's not start, a case when it's starting off. It's a, it's a two-year cycle, but then it's kind of annual. Exactly, okay. exactly. Um, but in terms of pruning, you really prune to shape. So any diseased branches, any branches with any dieback on them, uh, any branches that are crossing misplaced type of thing or shooting out from the plant then those should be pruned off so it's really just a tidying up and a reshaping of the fig tree and that can be done at this time of year very good 
Uh, now, a new cherry laurel hedging planted six weeks ago with compost and sea mongus. Some leaves were yellow, so they fed them with miracle Grow and plenty of water. They seem okay now, but only two of the plants have red-brown spots on them. They're wondering what should they do and is there a f- should they feed them from here until the winter? No. Okay. So what you need to do is, is stop... It's too much. It's too much. Stop mothering them. Leave them alone. Cherry laurel is as hardy as old boots. So it's a tough, easy to grow plant. Too much feeding, too much watering will just keep them. Well, watering certainly is a good idea, particularly if they're young plants. Give them a heavy watering rather than kind of a small sprinkle from the watering can. Uh, you know, nearly to leave the hose running in the in the area along the soil for half an hour, an hour type of thing. Soak the ground around the young plants. And then you won't have to wash them for another two weeks. So good heavy soaking is what they require. Don't feed plants at this time of year um, with with granulated feeds because you're making them soft and you're making them susceptible to damage through the winter period. Mm-hmm. So watering is all they require. You might need to just tip them back slightly. If you find that the, some of the shoots are a little bit taller on some plants than others, it would be a good idea just to li- very lightly tidy them all back to the one height. But apart from watering, leave them alone and they'll be perfectly okay. Any you've, There's plenty of food going on them between the sea mongus and the miracle grow. So any y- yellow leaves will, start, will come to green again anyway and they'll be perfectly fine. So plants at this time of year, they're going into dormancy and you don't feed uh, hedges or trees or whatever. They're, leave them alone at this time of year. Newly planted plants will require some watering. Good heavy soaking, but apart from that, leave them alone. Okay. Um, now, a listener has a camellia. It doesn't flower and the leaves are turning brown. They have it in a pot outside now and leave it in the porch for the winter. Which is a great idea and camellias will will really do, do well if you put them out for the summer months. Now, what they do require is, uh, over time, camellias is really a woodland plant and it's a very vigorous plant and in pots it gets hungry very quickly. So what I would do is actually repot it. Take it out of the pot, have a look at it. If, it the, if the roots have actually filled the pot completely, it needs to be moved on into a bigger size. If they haven't, just take off some of the old compost and put a fresh layer of ericaceous compost around the base of the plant. So repot it as it were. It's too early to move it back in. Leave it out outdoors until about the first week of October and that's the time to bring it back into the porch. The other thing when they're in pots is they need plenty of water. Because they are a woodland plant, because they're forming their flower buds at this time of year, you need to keep them very well watered. So in a pot it would require watering twice a week. Um, so make sure you keep mm. it well watered, repot it, and it'll be perfectly fine. Those brown leaves will actually come back. You get fresh new growth uh, from okay. on the committee even at this time of year. So possibly it's just gotten a bit too big for, for the, the pot, pot it's in and it's struggling yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, the listener got those Miracle Grow Easy Grow flowers and sowed them in April. Delighted okay. with the results, Porik. Uh, they have flowers since June. They're still flowering. Uh, they're wondering will the flower next summer again? Well, some of them will reseed. So any of the any of the hardy annuals, things like cornflowers, uh, candy tuft, English marigolds, which will be contained in the mix, they'll actually cast their own seed as we go into late September, October. So as the flowers begin to fade, if you allow them to produce seed and let that seed fall, then they will germinate and come back next year. The plants themselves will die at the end of the year. Right. So you're really hoping that you're going to get some of the seeds Please. to germinate next spring and and continue that show of colour. Great. Now, a listener bought some cyclamen hederfolium for their woodland. Should they plant them? Now. <laughs> what else are we going to do with them? Now. Well, 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 and how should they plant them? Okay, so first of all, it's a super plant. That's Hederfolium means ivy-leaved cyclamen. Now these are the hardy outdoor cyclamen. When you buy them they look like a wizened 
bulb. They're like a, a flat tuber. Um, they resemble kind of a piece of cardboard they're that dry but they form a beautiful plant anybody that has them in the garden they're flowering at the moment and they tend to come into flower about the middle of August and flower into November often into December beautiful plant great in a woodland area totally hardy out of doors so the flowers only grow the flowers um, bloom about four inches off, off from soil level and the foliage is about two inches off the soil level. So the leaf colour is absolutely lovely. It's mm. like an ivy leaf. It's mm. green and variegated. Um, it gets this, creates this carpet effect on the ground and then you get these beautiful pink flowers flowering from August through to early November. Sounds and lovely. once you plant them, you've got them for life. Oh, so they're like they're as hardy as daffodils. So they're kind of a an autumn bulb, if you an like. An autumn flowering bulb. Yeah. Beautiful plant. So well worth planting. Now they're a shallow corm, so they're they're only about um, in thickness. They're about two inches in thickness. And when you're planting any bulb, that tells you how deep to put it down. So you put it down twice its own depth or to its own height. So you'll bury the the cyclamen about two to three inches four inches maximum under the soil. So keep them quite close to the surface and leave them alone. They'll kick into growth. You'll get some foliage and maybe some flowers this year, but this time next year, they'll absolutely be superb. Sounds lovely. And often in a a woodland area, they'll self-seed. So the actual flowers will produce seed that will start to... So you'll get young plants popping up under the trees. Right. So a great time to plant them. Now, I would also remember that they're flowering at this time of year. So they're going to flower up till November. So to kind of complement them, Maybe add some winter aconites, which will flower. It's a lovely yellow flowering bulb, which can be planted at this time of year. Yellow uh, uh, winter aconites, um, which again only grows three or four inches in height. Brilliant in woodland or under shrubs. I mean, the cyclamen can be planted under shrubs as well. Uh, But that will flower in December, January period. Put in some snowdrops as well, which will give you colour in January, February. Put in maybe some bluebells, which will also give you colour so extend the flowering period the cyclamen will give you the lovely autumn colour but maybe put some crocuses in as well they're cheap to buy put in maybe a couple of hundred or under the trees it'll only cost you a couple of euros and they'll give a smashing show of colour in March and April so extend the kind of woodland area by planting bulbs that would flower at a later period and I'll be covering actually that today in the Museum of Country Life. And just on that, does it have, like, will they grow in non-woodland areas? Oh, they would, of course. Yeah. I have like, them I mean, planted. if you had them in a bed or something like yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But remember that they're very, they're very miniature. They're very, very short. Small, yeah. So you need them maybe in a rockery, yeah. in a shrub border. I have them planted under shrubs right out of the edge of a bed. So I can see the cyclamen in under the, 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 the shrub. Yeah. yeah. And they don't mind the shade. So they're actually a plant that grow very well in shaded, under trees, under shrubs. Lovely plant. If you have heather, say, a heather bed, mm. they'd be lovely to plant at the base of the heathers for a bit of extra colour at springtime. And, time. and yeah. once you've them planted, you forget about them. Okay, they, well, they're, they're, they're great. They're, they're super they're plants. They're the best kind of plants. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's well, cyclamen. Unless you're, you, you like being bothered by plants. Yeah, yeah. no, that's the hardy cyclamen. You can buy cyclamen uh, in the garden centre at the moment just for window boxes yeah. and, and beds and they tend to be just a one year. They last for And the they're one. more delicate looking, they're aren't they? They're more delicate. Yeah, Whereas cyclamen hydrofolium is actually a bulb you buy or you can buy it as a plant, but it's the hardy outdoor cyclamen. It'll tolerate frost and snow. Super plant. Excellent. Two weeks ago, uh, Kathleen, or Catherine, I beg your pardon, put down autumn feed and weed killer. Uh, lovely lawns have burnt patches on them and she put it on sparingly, she says. Is it too late to put on patch magic uh, grass seed? No, it's, well, first of all, it's not. It's it's perfect weather actually to reseed areas that have been damaged. So if they're damaged by bur- burning them with, with fertiliser or dogs, um, 
dogs marking them or whatever, it's a great time of year to, to reseed or even to put in a new lawn. And I mm-hmm. think I said this in the last couple of weeks. The main thing is that after seeding, you put on water as well and the grass will germinate within a 10 or 15 day period at this time of year. So put on the patch magic, simply just rake off the area, uh, sprinkle on the patch magic, give it a good heavy watering and that should germinate in the next 10 to 15 days. Okay. It's a thing to be careful with fertilizers that if you are, you know, obviously, yes, you could have put it sparingly over the entire lawn, but obviously some spilled here and particularly in the dry weather, fertilizers will burn. So just be careful put them on nice and even okay yeah ideally in the evening time and the dew at night time helps to wash them in as well right so it's not as concentrated exactly. then if it did even if a bit of a handful did fall yeah. or and whatever. if it does burn the grass if you patch it if you put yeah. a little bit of patch magic down it'll knit in together again now um so, uh, somebody is looking for a large outdoor plant or mature hedge in a pot. They need to cover an eyesore from their kitchen window and they're wonder- wondering, is it possible to get plants that are about seven foot high? Oh, you can. In absolutely. a pot. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The mature hedging plants are mature specimen plants. They're available in uh, things like Portuguese laurel, beech, uh, common laurel, all of those, yew trees, any of those are available as, as mature plants. So if you need something to screen an area immediately, then um, they're available right up to seven or eight feet in height, you know, up to a metre in diameter. Um, so something evergreen, if it's an eyesore, maybe the Portuguese laurel would be, would be very good. Mm. Fortinia red robin would be available as a big plant, as a large plant. Um, the cherry laurel that we, we mentioned at the top of the programme, Grisselinia would be still available as a... So yes, the the answer is yes. yes and okay. y- you can plant them at this time of year as well. When they're in a trough or a container, mm. you can plant them at any time of year. Right. So it's ju- just a, a mature <coughs> plant that has been grown for se- six or seven years in a big trough and it can be put directly into the soil. Okay, and then do you, <coughs> do, would you need to take them out of that pot and put them into a bigger pot in another year or two? Oh, well, or how would that work? Yeah, well, if, if you're going to leave it in the pot, yeah. then obviously that... Then I, I'm getting the impression they'd prefer to leave it in okay, the pot. Okay, well then, then they generally they're supplied in very large troughs and they last up to a year in that, but in time... They're better to go into the soil or into a, into a larger container. Lovely. Yeah. Victoria plum tree only yeah. had few plums this year. Should okay. they prune it or what should we feed it, says Nula? Well, a good thing to do, and I know I said at the top of the programme not to feed plants this time yeah, of year, yeah. so here I'm going to contradict myself. Well, I'm not really. But this time of year, it's a good t- time of year to put on sulphate of potash. And potash is does the actual reverse to most fertiliser in that it slows plants down. It makes them turgid. It makes the stems stop growing and it forces plants to produce flower buds for next year. So for fruiting plants in general, like apples, pears, plums, fruiting cherries, blackcurrants, gooseberries, all the the burying plants, a dressing of sulphate of potash slows down the growth in plants and plants then think them, think themselves that they've stopped growing, which they have, right. and they switch to producing flower buds. So in this case, rather than if you prune it, you're going to stimulate new growth, which is going to mean less fruit next year. So I would leave it alone and apply a dressing of sulphur polish around the base of the Victoria plum. Uh, depending on the age, you might want to put two or three good handfuls around the base of it. And that'll help to settle the tree in. It'll help to slow it down and it'll help to produce flower buds for next year. Okay. And plums traditionally don't fruit for about five or six years anyway. They tend to do a lot of growing at the expense of flower and fruit. So the potash tends to reverse that and slow them down a bit. So all apple trees, pears, plums, fruiting plants will benefit from a dressing of sulphur potash. Excellent. But don't use any other fertiliser. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
<laughs> Sue uh, tells us that she has a climbing plant that is full of leaves at the top and bare all the way down. Now, she doesn't identify what climbing plant it is, Porig, uh, but she's wondering essentially, can she cut it down and will it grow back up again next year? Well, it's the classic example of climbers, of all climbers, that, okay. that when you plant them, they naturally the, the tendency is to get vertical growth, like an ivy growing up a telegraph pole. It tends to be bare for the first six feet and then it's lovely and bushy from there on up. And so when planting old climbers, you need to spread the branches vertically, horizontally, I should say, on the wall so that they're going left and right, so that they're covering the base of the wall initially and then let the, the growth grow vertical. So two things you can do. It depends on what the climber is. And and maybe before, you know, maybe if she rang me or come along to the talk today at three o'clock but give me a buzz maybe on it to see what plant it is but for many climbers you can prune them back and start them off again or alternatively you could plant a young plant so say it's a variegated ivy Mm. rather than wasting all that foliage that has grown plant a young plant at the base of the climber and train it left and right train it horizontally so it is covering the base of so it's kind of filling in the gap. It's filling in the gap, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, so do that. Maybe maybe put a young plant in at the base of it and try to get it to fill in rather than cutting back and starting from from um, scratch. But for all climbers, and it's a good time to plant climbing plants, even if it's roses or clematis, always spread them left and right rather than keeping them vertical. So take them off the canes they're supplied on and get that lateral spread uh, initially. So, so, so that it's all well covered. Yeah, out. you were telling me about your sweet pea, actually. Yeah, I was I, interested in that. I, we had, a, I, I was, I, we did a little bit of tour of my mother's garden, not mine, yesterday, um, because you know, because the weather is so good, and there's still, so she loves flowers. There's still so much uh, great color, uh, color Super and flowers, color, yeah. still very much in growth. It would appear, and um, one of the things was the everlasting sweet pea. Which was sown uh, back in would have been May, maybe early May, May, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's there's a little trellisy archway that had um, the most fantastic wisteria until the very bad winters of a couple of years ago, and then it got completely decimated. Yeah, and it, things have been slowly growing up along it, I suppose, with no great, um, I suppose, leaving things to to their own devices a little bit, no great thought, but just waiting to see what will happen. But the everlasting sweet pea has just taken off like no man's business and it the amount of growth on it and it's climbing up around the trellis now it looks really really good and is it flowering it's flowering away lots Great. of growth lots of nice little flowers on it yeah looks really really good she's delighted with it well and it will yeah. it'll continue to flower until probably mid october maybe up to the end of october mm. until we get severe frost the everlasting sweet pea will continue to bloom so the only thing to do at, at that time of year is to cut it back once the once the weather, once it begins to wither, say in November, early December, tidy it up for the winter, and it'll reshoot from the base again in February, March of next year. It'll actually be fantastic next, next year. year. However good it's this year, it'll be twice as good next year yeah. because it'll have built up that that energy. And and that's the great thing with the everlasting sweet pea. You don't have to plant it every year. It just flowers, comes back, back and yeah. back and back and back. It's yeah. a great plant. There are some wild roses, or you know, the trailing roses um, around this this archway as well, and the two they're complementing. That's each what I was other. just going to yeah. say, it, really it, and it's a good plant to complement other plants. If you've got clematis or rambling or climbing roses or honeysuckle, the everlasting sweet pea. It's it's got that old cottage garden look, hasn't it? It does, and it kind of fills out the, like a bit like the ivy question. There, it's it's filling out the gaps that are there from the yeah. roses. 
houses, you know, so it's giving a bit of extra foliage. Yeah, and yeah. That, that could be a solution yeah. as well, that the listener could push something like Everlasting Sweet Pea in at the base of whatever climate it is just to fill it. But yeah, it's a good plant. It's yeah, a good plant. No, and it, and it, that would be typical of, of it, that it, it grows very rapidly because it's it's in the pea family. Mm. So it's producing nitrogen itself. It actually feeds itself. So it's one of these easy to grow climbing plants and a great filler. Probably six or seven feet of growth this year. It's taller than me anyway. Right. But that, okay. that, that isn't hard <laughs> for those of you who know me. Um, I've, <laughs> I've cleaned out my greenhouse, removed all the tomatoes, etc. and want to fumigate it to kill off any pests. What should I spray? Well, you can use a couple of things, but probably the easiest thing to do at this time of year would be to use the small smoke bombs. The few, the um, it's uh, Foggett P, I think is that from memory is the name of the. It's a small canister. You simply close the vents in the greenhouse, uh, light it in the evening time, um, close up the door the following morning, then just open up the vents, and the the smoke that it produces has an insecticide in it that will eradicate any uh, green fly or any pest that might be overwintering. So if you do want to fumigate the greenhouse. That's probably the easiest way to do it. You could also use a product called Protective C which is a spray that you can apply to the glass and to the um, paving and the soil which again will control any pests. But the the fumigant is the easiest one to use and that's you simply just light the little fuse on it leave it in the greenhouse, close up the greenhouse and walk away. And it does the job It does the job and it gets into the cracks and crevices that Mm. you'll have in the greenhouse. Now you you mentioned a little bit earlier about the popularity of uh, that that seems to be existing at the minute of planting from slips and Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, I I can't remember whether we did or we didn't was there a particular name on rooting powder that we were talking about last week or is there a variety of rooting powders? There's there's an easy one to remember, Mm. one called Strike. Okay. Strike. So we often say in the in the business that to have the roots have the cuttings striked, striked, stricken, strike yet, which means have they rooted yet? Have they have the, have the new yes. roots started oh, to, right. to come, to come yet? Yes, yeah. So there's one called strike. So that's a, a an easy one. And generally, with a small tin of rooting powder, you'll get two or three hundred cuttings from the one. From one the ten. So it's, yeah. yeah. It'll last you. Oh, it'll last for a couple yeah. of years, definitely. Great. We're going to take a quick little break. Uh, stay with us. We still have lots more to come. Now, you're very welcome back with selection of questions there. I just want to backtrack here, Pork, so I'm not missing any of them. Uh, now, good few lawn questions. A listener has checked their lawn this morning. They have some uh, small patches of moss growing back and they're wondering, should I kill, kill it now or next spring and when do we feed it? I know, it? treat it now because moss is mm. going to continue to grow through the winter period. So if it's only a couple of small little spots, then there's a product called Green Up, which is um, a powder you mix in water and you just spray it on, just treat those individual areas. Kind of nip them in the bud now. Um, and Or if you put on in a good autumn feed, autumn lawn feed, like the, the Osmo, you'll you've got a moss control in that as well. So either are. So if it needs a feed, if you'd like to give it a bit of green colour, then put on the Osmo moss remover and that'll eradicate that'll it. Or else if you just want to spot treat uh, a, a bit of moss in the patches. lawn, small little patches, then use the uh, the green up. Okay. Uh, a listener has a large winter heather bed with mixed conifers. There is a lot of strong grass growing through them. Can they spray the bed to kill the grass? Yeah, it's probably um, wild meadow grass or scotch grass. So the product to use is um, Stratus Ultras, which is similar to Fusilade, but a lot cheaper. 
Oh, right. So, so, so that, that came out uh, last year um, as, a, as an alternative to and, Fusarate. And equally as effective? Equally as effective. So it's Stratus Ultras. It's, um, basically, it's a liquid. You apply it onto the heather bed. You can safely spray it onto the actual heathers themselves. It will only kill grass without damaging the heather. Lovely. And again, this sort of weather is ideal. Actually, weed control, and I think I said it last week, that you know this is the time of year to, to get out and control weeds because many of them are beginning Got to seed. seed. And particularly this year, the amount of uh, weed seed is just uh, so if you don't get on top of it you're going to be very sorry next well, spring well there's going to be a lot of yeah there's going to be a lot of, of seed activity next year definitely uh, somebody has planted a lot of fruit trees this spring right. all growing well they yeah. were told to put grease bands on them is this <clears> correct and when should it be done yeah well grease band is a, is a, is a treatment that's used oh. it's I suppose a, a, an organic way of controlling pests on particularly apples pears plums fruiting cherries the more kind of uh, tree fruits or, or uh, top fruit as we call them and the grease band is, is literally just that it's a band of it's a special band a sticky band and you've got pests like codly moss that creeps up on the stems of fruit trees um, and it traps them you know a bit like the you know the vapona it's a bit like, yeah or a bit like the jam jar well no. well it's a similar idea but, but like, a bit like, like the, the strip you know the, the yeah the sticky strips that they have for the fly catch yeah. paper it's a similar idea to that but it actually physically catches bugs that are climbing up to damage the trees so what you simply do is put the grease band about a foot 18 inches up off the soil around the stem you wrap it onto the stem and any pest then that creeps up onto the stem is caught in that area it gets area. stuck it gets stuck <laughs> Exactly. So and it's a good have, organic and way. And you have to replace them then if you have once if, a year. if you have a lot of uh, pests. Ah no no no. Yeah. One, oh, once okay. a year is more than enough to to put them on. Um, a listener has a large boxwood hedge. A lot of yellow leaves and some sections are <clears> dying altogether. They're wondering would this be pest damage or what what can they do? It's more likely to be um, a disease of boxwood uh, called box blight which is a yellowing of the foliage. So if your boxwood plants, your hedging plants are showing that typical yellow symptom, symptoms, very anemic, and where some of these stems then have defoliated, the leaves have literally mm. fallen off them, they've kind of gone back to twigs. That's a sign of box blight. Um, you can treat it with a, there's a box treatment, a special treatment for boxwood blight. Um, it's it's a boxes, uh, it's called boxes, and you, it's a simple tablet that you mix in water and you spray it onto the foliage. So not only does it control the, the, the disease, it also gives them, the plants a bit of a liquid feed and brings back the colour in them. So they, they lose that, you could, they, they lose that kind of yellow back to a nice rich green for the for the, old, the winter period. So the box blight, that's a, that, is that like a mould, like it's, potato blight? It's a, it's, yeah, it's a foliar disease of, mm. of uh, box wood. So it's specific to box wood. It's become uh, quite common in the last two years. Um, and you know it's definitely there's still lots of it about but it's very it's very um, evident on the plant the plant yes. will the, the leaves will be yellow very anemic and you'll have some of the typical dead branches yes. or brittle branches on the and particularly on the top and the outside of the so if you're if you're, the boxwood is looking a little bit anemic then I would advise using and some it's of losing the bo- leaves yeah get some of the box uh, boxwood treatment it's a simple tablet blue if I remember you mix it in water and just spray it onto the foliage now, how do Tom wonders how does he improve the soil in his garden? He can't get new topsoil, and he's got also he has two questions actually. So that's the first one, and secondly, then and I have to say, bula bus on this front, he's got a poinsettia since last year, and he's wondering how might he maintain it till Christmas. Okay, well, improving the soil. I mean, things that improve the soil are any organic matter. So, horse manure, cattle manure, mushroom compost garden compost that you've you've produced yourself or you can buy bags of soil enricher 
So there's five options. So, uh, but make sure that any composted material is at least six to 12 months old. So the older it is, the more that it is decomposed, yeah. the better it's going to be for your soil. And you simply dig that into the soil. That adds fertility, but it also helps to breaks up, breaks up the structure of your soil. But you can also, if it's a small area, you can go and get Bordemona do bags of soil enricher, which is mm. basically composted material that's been put into a bag. It's ideal for digging into fr- fruit beds or vegetable beds or flower borders or whatever. In relation to the Ponsettia, mm. the, the thing with Ponsettias is, is that you can grow them year after year, but the, the, the trick in getting them back to that beautiful red foliage is very difficult in that on the nurseries where the ponsettias are growing, they're, they, they, they exclude the light. They're given a very rigid growing um, conditions where natural light is excluded. So the plants are put into total darkness for up to 10 hours per day and then they're given light. So it's a very controlled to get them to colour at Christmas. Mm. If you keep them on your normal windowsill, you you won't get them back to that beautiful red colour. So you need to give it very specific uh, light conditions. And even a, a um, the lights from a house or from a lamppost will affect the colouring. Oh. So it's it's that... Okay, so it's quite a scientific... It uh, is. It is. And I was down with actually one of the growers in, in Wexford, uh, one of the Irish growers of poinsettias, and he was telling me that um, and he's got huge acreage of Ponsettias. Right. But he had to talk to his neighbour to, to ask them to, to be turn off the lights, outdoor <laughs> okay, lights really? in the house. To, had to come because Gosh, it, it affected the crop. So that's how sensitive Ponsettias are. So typically in a normal household, they're treated as a one year yeah. plant. Or and the, not, and, not even up to or, spring. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but for particularly many of the new varieties are actually lasting up to a year. But to get them back to that lovely red coloration is very difficult. So in theory then, uh, if you have them in the house, is it better to have them in sort of a darker spot than the lighter spot? No, because oh, it okay. still won't make any difference. But right. why not grow them as green foliage yeah. plant? Like it'll still grow as a perfectly green. You'll always get a small bit of red coloration on the top of the leaves, but you won't get it back to that brilliance, brilliant, okay. brilliant red colour okay, again. Okay, because that obviously takes a, a it lot sure of does. minding and expertise. And talking to your neighbours. And talking to your neighbours, <laughs> yeah. You'd want understanding neighbours if you're yeah. running that experiment. Um, is it is it now the time to cut back hydrangeas, asks Anne. They've grown very tall. Is it okay to cut them down low? Well, you can, you can. I mean, first of all, generally, and I'll be covering this again today of the pruning of hydrangeas because it always seems to be a, a bugbear for most people. But generally the rule for hydrangeas, and they're still flowering brilliantly everywhere, so I would leave them alone mm-hmm. until early spring and then I would remove the flowering shoots that flower this year to allow the young shoots to come on and flower next year. Now, you can also take the approach that if it's got unwieldy and too big and it's kind of gone out of bounds and unmanageable. Mm. You could take the attitude right, I'm going to cut it really severely back forsake the flowers for next year but use the year to get it back into uh, shape shape and into a lower more manageable plant. So by all means Anne could cut the hydrangea back in November very severely back to within a foot of soil level you'll get lots of new growth next year, no flowers until the following summer but it is a way of getting it back to a more manageable. So particularly for plants yeah. that maybe have not got be, have not been pruned or shaped in the last number of years and they've got too unwieldy and too big for their area, you could take that approach to prune them back okay. severely in the winter 
Um, but but bear in mind, you'll get no blooms. Yeah, but you'll still have foliage. Absolutely, the plant will come back and and so on. Okay. Um, Does broccoli? Why does broccoli go to seed? Asks Tony. Well, what are you eating when you're eating the when you're eating the heads of broccoli? Seed. Well, you're eating the flower buds, right? So you're actually eating the flowers. You're eating the undeveloped flowers of broccoli. So that's what you're physically eating. So the plant, if it's not picked on a regular basis, naturally those flowers go broccoli, to seed. Bro- those broccoli heads go to flower and then they go to seed. So the trick with broccoli, now it can happen as well where the broccoli uh, so my guess is it wasn't picked early enough and you need to pick broccoli. Generally the way it grows, green broccoli in particular it produces a central curd or head of flower. When that's about four to five inches in diameter that's the time to cut it. it. So cut it when it's very tight and green and that'll encourage then lots of new shoots around the sides of the broccoli to kick into growth so the, taking out the central head produces lots of other flowers around the base M- smaller but but m- more numerous and they need to be picked on a certainly a 10 day to 14 day period regular picking even if you have to freeze them and hold them yeah. because naturally the plant is trying to flower it's trying to produce its own seed and particularly this sort of weather is going to just flush them into into um, seed right. the other thing is that if the plant comes under any form of stress say due to dry mm-hmm. weather which we've had Again, it'll trigger, it'll run, the plant itself will run to flower and run to seed. So if it gets a check, and that's, I suppose, what, what, I, what I was saying about sulfur potash, that's actually what sulfur potash does to fruiting plants. It gives them that check. So it actually stops them in their track. Yeah. It says, stop growing. Yeah, hello. And, it, and, and so the plant then switches to producing flower buds and fruit. And that's exactly what's happening in the broccoli. If it comes under any form of stress f- due to drought or pest or whatever, it switches to flowering and to producing seed because a plant cops on that something is wrong and that it needs to re- reproduce itself. Okay. And that's the function of any plant, mm. is to reproduce itself at the end of the day and yeah. not to give us... It's not, it's not for our benefit, no, really. No, it's it's for their own benefit. Yeah. But we're so if they've gone to seed, you know, I would certainly remove the central curd. Hopefully you get some young shoots that may, may um, reshoot. It's also a great time to plant purple sprouting broccoli, broccoli, which is an easier plant to grow and produces its spears right through the winter, spring, early summer period. A really good, and now is the time to get them into the soil. And you tend not to get those dry conditions over the winter period. <laughs> As a rule. To give them a check, yeah. So it's, now, a, it's an easier one. We've got a couple of uh, potato questions. Um, uh, two, two Marys uh, have questions on potatoes. Rooster potatoes have holes in them, but May queens have no holes. Does the soil need lime and how much? And also, um, again, potatoes, lots of holes, wondering, is it a worm? Yeah, well, the, the, the main pest that's going to attack um, potatoes, particularly this two pests, really, and we, I think we talked about them mm. a couple of weeks ago, wireworm being the first, and it's very pre- prevalent on main crop varieties like roosters, carpinks, records, all of those that are in the ground a long time. Um, where you get that damage, the wireworm is the uh, larvae of the, of the click beetle, and it lasts up to three years in the soil. Now, you can treat the soil next summer with the nematodes. So once you have the crop planted in May, June, July sort of period, you can put on the nematodes and that will control wireworm. If if the potatoes are damaged now, then get them out of the soil as early as possible. But the longer you leave them there, the more physical damage is going to occur on the crop. So dig them up, store them, dump the, the potatoes that are physically damaged where you see the holes because they're not going to they, they, when you slice them open they're going to be destroyed in the, in the centre of the potato. So really it's a matter of getting them out of the soil now, harvesting what you can and then next year if you're planting in that soil treat the soil with the nematodes in May, June or July. 
Excellent. Um, Mary is wondering, she's got dahlias with no bulbs or flowers, lots of leaves, which look very good, wondering why this might be. Well, it's unusual because dahlias are absolutely brilliant at the moment, Mm. Um, unless the plants were planted late, which could very well be. Um, But remember that dahlias are going to flower up until we get very severe frost. So, you know, with this sort of weather, you'd expect the colour to last for at least another six weeks, possibly eight weeks. So I would just leave them alone at the moment. If they're growing well, just leave them be and see will they come into flower. If they were planted late, if they were planted in May and June of this year, they're going to flower in the latter part of autumn and and, and winter. So just leave them at the moment and... um, see what happens. Okay. Now, it's something we touched on before we started the programme and actually we didn't come back to it since and I see a question here now that's reminded me of it. Um, Somebody is wondering about bulbs to plant in a classroom uh, with children, something easy, which I know is a question we get occasionally. Yeah. And I know hyacinths is one option. It is. And you were telling me about a lady who's growing hyacinths for the Bombulance charity. Yes, absolutely. She, Kathleen, a lady called Kathleen Bell Bonjane. What a name. Great lady um, who rang me from Galway. She's a customer of ours in Galway and she came up with this great idea of growing the scented hyacinths for charity. So her idea is to plant up the bulbs at this time of year, which is correct, and grow them until Christmas and then sell them in aid of the bubblance Bumbulance, I think it is. Which is which is a it's a children's ambulance. It is. It's a fantastic idea. So they're they're um, investing in ambulances to make them child 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 friendly and interactive for children. And so that if the journey is a little bit on the long side, that it's not quite so scary, and that there is you know activities or at least things there to engage people. It's interactive, and their parents can go with them. And I think it's a free service as well. So I thought it was a great charity. So. Kathleen is actually, we're going to give her the plants, the 200 plants, uh, bulbs to grow. We're going to give her the pots and the compost and she's going to grow them over the next couple of weeks and uh, put them on sale then. I'm, I'm actually going to take some of the plants from her around Christmas time and we're going to sell them in the centre. But I'm going to get her, ask her to come on the programme maybe in a couple of weeks' time and Excellent. talk to us about, She, she grew, a couple of years ago she grew um, dwarf sunflowers for, for a similar oh, lovely. event, uh, for a charity event. And again, it was very successful. So, but yeah, but for if anybody's interested in growing something in a classroom, classroom situation then the scented hyacinths would be great if you get the prepared varieties which means they've been given a small chill which helps to bring them into flower for the Christmas period so look for those the prepared hyacinths they come in a whole range of colour they're easy to grow great fun for the children to grow and they'll see the actual roots growing and the buds growing but they're also highly scented so they give a beautiful scent to the classroom during the, the uh, winter autumn winter kind of period paper whites would be the other plant you could grow um, so they're Narcissi family Daffodil mm-hmm. family come in white and yellow and again if you plant them at this time of year you'll have them flowering for the, the Christmas period so there'd be two that I would certainly plant but remember the bulbs are so easy to grow you could pick any bulb a daffodil a tulip a crocus or whatever and grow it in a, in a classroom situation and let the kids see them coming into into flower Excellent Um Question, I know there's a lot of lawn questions, the different kinds though. Uh, this lawn, a lawn was cut last night on number four. They have Osmo and they also have a lawn weed killer. They can't remember which to put on first. Well, put on the, put on the, so the, the lawn has been cut. So put yeah. on the, uh, the Osmo moss remover now today. Leave it for a week. That'll kill off the weed, the moss that's there. It will give a lovely green colour to the lawn and it'll actually bring on any weeds that are there as well. And the following weekend, so next weekend then, hit it with a lawn control uh, weed killer like Dicoflower or one of the, the traditional lawn uh, um, weed killers and then mow the grass three or four days later. Okay. So feed it first, leave it for a week, then hit it with the 
lawn weed killer and the lawn will be in tip top condition it'll be moss free weed free and it'll be fantastic green colour for the winter period Somebody's wondering uh, can you tell them if their carrots are safe from root fly yet? Is no, that, is, I mean, is, root fly... Is, is that there all the time or it is. Is, it, is it a seasonal... No, no, root fly, root fly can be... Uh, root fly, first of all, it's the, it's the larvae of the carrot root fly or fly that, that uh, bores into the stems of carrots and causes m- major problems. The eggs can be laid any time from the end of April right up until September, August, September. And indeed, most of the... Uh, adults then move in the wintertime onto weeds and live on weeds that are in the carrot family on in hedgerows and migrate back to the mm. carrot crop then in the in the spring or summer of next year. So the answer is no. I mean, the maggots, the eggs are laid and then the maggots feed on the carrots. So I would advise just have a look at your carrots, dig them up, have a look. You'll, you'll see the problem straight away if it's there. And generally the carrots will tell you because the foliage will go yellow or orange in colour if they're affected by carrot root fly. So, but they still can be damaged, definitely. Okay. Um, when is it best to set fuchsia from slips? Asks Maggie in Westport. Maggie, come along today at the to the Museum of Country Life between three and four o'clock, and I'll show you exactly how to do them. Yeah. Um, and so just on that front, I'm I'm reliably informed now that there are places still available for that talk okay. today, and we have the number here if people want to give the Museum of Country Life a ring. Right. So we'll just let you know that it's oh nine four nine zero three one seven double five. Yeah. So yeah. I'll be co- covering cuttings today, but but to answer your question, uh, yes, yes, fuchsias can be taken from cuttings at this time of year. Small cuttings, about six inches in length. Take off the flowers. Take off the leaves, a little bit of rooting powder and then put it into a mixture of perlite and compost, maybe 10 or 12 of them in a pot, cover it with a polythene bag, stick it on your windowsill and you'll have great cuttings within six weeks or eight weeks. Probably the final question, um, nasturtiums poric, growing on a trellis in the garden. The leaves have started to yellow. When they investigated them more closely, they've noticed that the stems and leaves are covered in a small black fly. There are millions of them. What are these and how can they control them, preferably biologically? Well, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, like, remember that nasturtiums are not going to live, uh, they're frost sensitive. So as soon as we get into frost, they're going to die back naturally anyway. So... If you must get rid of the flies, you can use um, something that's with a pyrethrum based, um, and pyrethrum is an insecticide that's mm. taken from the chrysanthemum plant. Right. So bug clear, for example, would be a very good one to use if you wish. Alternatively, you can just leave the nasturtiums to flower away. Yes, the leaves will start to, to go yellow, but they're going to go yellow anyway over the next six, five or six weeks. So they're going to be dying back naturally. So. I would be inclined to leave them alone. Just let them let them let them flower away. Let the let the bugs have their have their day. But if you must get rid of them, use something like bug clear, which is uh, safe to use. It's pyrethrum. It's made from the essence of a plant of the chrysanthemum plant. Very good. We're going to have to leave it there for the moment. But I know you'll have lots of information for those people who are heading along to the talk. Yeah. This so afternoon. three three to four this afternoon in the the Museum of Country Life. Give the guys a, a ring there because they like to know the numbers that are coming, and I'll be covering all those typical topics of lawn care, cuttings, bulbs, you name it. Okay, great stuff. Well, busy afternoon, I yeah, think, on the cards. Uh, and we'll talk to you again next week on the programme. Thanks, Deirdre. That's my lot for this morning. Michael Neary is coming your way directly after the news at 10, which is next with Angelina Nugent. Good morning to you.